In the Trauma-Informed Education podcast, you can get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to our Trauma-Informed PBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. That's tipbs.com. Thanks to nearly universal access to smartphones, a recent survey by the Pew Research Centre found half of all teenagers say they use the internet almost constantly. This 45% figure is nearly double the 24% who were categorised in this way in the 2014-15 survey. For another 44%, internet access happens several times a day. Thus. Nine in 10 teens are online at least multiple times per day. While the use of such digital technologies brings with it risks, it also presents us with an opportunity to reach out to vulnerable and challenging students. So how do we harness the power of these digital technologies for good? Hi, I'm Dr. Kay Eyre, and this is Trauma-Informed Education. Today we speak with Dr. Jamie Mendoza-Williams, the Head of Student Wellness at MindRight, a non-profit organisation that provides personalised mental health coaching over text message to teens. Developed by Ashley Edwards and Alina Leal, MindRight provides programs aimed at empowering youth of colour to heal from trauma and systematic, systemic oppression, including poverty, violence, racism and discrimination. Dr Mendoza-Williams will be interviewed by Dr Gavin Krishnamurthy and myself. I hope you find the interview useful. Hi everyone, welcome to Trauma Informed Education. My name is Dr Gavin Krishnamurthy and I'm here as always with Dr Kay Eyre. Hi Kay. Hi Gavin, how are you? I'm great, how are you going? I'm well, thanks. That's good. We've got a really interesting interview today. We're here with Jamie this morning. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Let's get right into it. Um, so we start all our interviews by asking our guests about their uh, schooling experience, um, where you went to elementary school and high school, um, and how it's kind of shaped you to do the kind of work you do at the moment, Jamie. Sure. Um, so uh, I was born and raised in Southeast Los Angeles. Um, and um, let me see, I attended the Los Angeles Unified School District um, since kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and uh, do you want like specific names of the schools or? No, Jamie, that's, oh, you can do, it doesn't matter either way, just, just. Yeah, just, um, yeah. So attended LA Unified School District, um, and then I went to uh, different local universities. I went to Cal State Northridge for undergrad, um, University of Southern California for my Master's of Social Work, and then I went to California State University Long Beach uh, for my Doctorate in Educational Leadership. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, and um, were there any teachers or people through your school life that made a big impact on you wanting to become get into education, Jamie? Absolutely. Um, so one teacher that really stands out to me is uh, Mr. Antonio Ravelis. Um, he was very instrumental in me even going to college to begin with. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood of uh, mainly like 99% Latinos, um, very sheltered, if you will. Um, and uh, with that being said, uh, I also grew up in a family where, um, you know, I was, um, I witnessed a lot of domestic violence, uh, a lot of things that kind of deterred me from really giving uh, my all academically, if you will. Uh, so when I was a senior in high school, um, I, I didn't do too well. Uh, I had like a 2.3 GPA. Um, my actual school counselor um, attempted to deter me from college and she said, you know, college is hard. I don't know if you're really ready for it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, you might want to go into the landscaping business that your dad has. And that's probably a better way to go just to be safe. And I was perplexed by that because my father, being an immigrant to, this, to the country from Mexico, um, he came with dreams and aspirations for his children, and and he's told me that his my whole life growing up. You know, you're going to go to college, um, and for this woman to to tell me that that's not going to happen or I shouldn't go um, was really disheartening for me. Um, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I left her office and I was in tears because this woman who you know I felt like was the person who would be able to help me get into college was saying I'm not college material. Um, and I, I went into the college center because my uh, Mr. Avellis was not only my uh, my AP history teacher, but he was also a part-time college counselor at, at the high school. Um, so I went to go speak to him, and you know he assured me that like you know you know he said hi man, there's a lot of things going on in your life right now because I used to share things with him. Um, he's like you know, but you're a really smart guy. I know that. I can see that in, in the work that you do turn in. Um, so, you know, things happen in life, you know, and things aren't always, you know, straight away for people, you know, to, to get to where they need to be. Um, but, you know, I'm really confident that you're going to do well in life. And um, so with that being said, uh, I applied to several colleges. I didn't get into any except for one, um, which was Cal State Northridge. Um, and I went and it was really a life changing opportunity. Oh, thank you for that. I'm glad I asked that follow-up question. It's always really fascinating to hear about people's journeys to the work they do now. Um, Jimmy, do you want to tell us about the MindRight program um, and how it's influenced by trauma-informed practice? Yeah, um, so MindRight is a text-based uh, service that we provide to teens uh, of color ages 13 to 19. Um, and what it is, is we provide um, mental health coaching via text message to these young people. Um, MindRight was developed and founded in 2016 by our two co-founders, Alina Liao and Ashley Edwards. Um, and yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great journey. I joined the MindRight team in December 2017. Um, and it's been really, it's been a great ride so far, I have to say. Um, I never see myself leaving the school system. I was in schools for 16 years prior to coming to MindRight. Um, I was a psychiatric social worker for almost 10 years, and then I went into school administration for the, the next six years. 
Um, and when I seen this opportunity, um, it sounded really interesting. And I came and it was, I would have to say, one of the best decisions I've made in my life professionally. Um, we, we provide, um, you know, like I said, mental health coaching and our training is in, in, informed by, uh, by uh, evidence-based um, trauma-informed practices. Uh, there's a 20-hour online training that our coaches take um, and in that there are role plays and video quiz debriefs and uh, final role plays actually using our web-based system and the coaches use their, their cell phones. Um, and basically what it is is, uh, you know, we, we vet them through the whole thing. Um, many of our coaches do make it to the end, some don't. Um, but most of the time uh, people, we usually, uh, we usually have an interview to begin with the process. And at that point, we kind of ask questions to kind of get to know the, the coach or potential coach. And uh, from that process, we either say yay or nay as far as starting the coaching process. Um, yeah, it's a really great um, trauma-informed uh, training. Um, and people, coaches have told us that, you know, this, this is a really wonderful training. Um, not only do I feel like confident in being able to coach young people, but these practices and, and things that I've learned, I've been able to also adapt to my own life and, 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 and personally, and really being able to look at the world through a different lens. Yeah, really fascinating. I'd love to hear more about just the coaching program and the skills you actually uh, teach the coaches. But Jamie, I wanted to kind of step back a bit. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing today about how children and youth use technology? And how do you kind of see that as an opportunity to reach out, particularly with the students who are kind of quite hard to reach? Um, so I think one of them, one of the things that's most misunderstood about technology and young people, um, you know, uh, people tend to, to feel that like technology is taking over like social interaction, right? And, and social skills building, um, which to an extent, I, I can agree to, to an extent, but I think there's also opportunities in this, in this platform to be able to still teach those, those skills through technology. Um, so, um, for instance, uh, we've, you know, I, I had a parent one time ask like, you know, what do you guys do to, to like educate our, 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 our kids about like, people who may be predators online and stuff like that. And, um, and what my, my response to her was like, you know, uh, we, we train our coaches uh, to be able to talk to our, our students from, uh, you know, really from the heart um, and really, uh, really using our training to be able to really get to like the core of what's really happening with the student at the time. Um, we do sometimes conversations happen where young people are talking about like, you know, this, this person that I met online, or, you know, I have this boyfriend and I've never really met him. Um, and we do talk about like, just being like socially responsible about like your use of online and really being wary about people um, who may just be random people that you don't know who they are. Um, we, we make it very clear that like, you know, all of our coaches are, um, 
are fingerprinted and checked, you know, with our through FBI Department of Justice to make sure they aren't predators and they aren't people who are trying to get on this platform to take advantage of young people. Um, so we do that, um, you know, in the training process for our coaches, and uh, we train our coaches in such a way that you know we allow we allow the kids to really inform and drive the conversations. And we kind of follow their steps. Um, it's not like we have an agenda, right? We're, we're there to just be someone for them to be able to talk to um, in a non-judgmental, accepting space where they know that they can talk about anything they want to and it's confidential. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So just on a very practical note, Jamie, how does this actually work? Do schools opt in and then the program gets rolled out through the schools and then students can uh, can voluntarily participate in the program? How would that kind of look like? That's exactly how it works. Um, okay. So we, we build relationships with the schools. Um, the schools, uh, you know, contract with us and the MindRight team goes to the schools and we do classroom presentations. We do individual presentations on who we are, the service that we provide. And we basically ask the young people, like, so what do you think? You know, is there something you'd like to try? Um, we actually have an enrollment link, which is a Google Doc, which we send to them. It's about nine questions that we ask them, uh, some demographic questions, and also, like, what shift do you want to be on, right? Currently, we have four different shifts. Uh, we have a 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the morning shift um, because some students like to text their coaches before school. And then we do not we do not text students during the school day. And then we have uh, three shifts in the evening. We have a five to seven shift, seven to nine shift, and nine to 11 shift. So essentially our young people have two hours every day, seven days a week to have a personal coaching session via text message with their coaches. Okay. Jamie, how long can the, is there a limit to how long the um, coaching goes? Like if I was, you know, one of the students, do I get to text backwards and forwards for a set amount of time, like for half an hour or any time during my shift? Yeah. Um, so we, we, uh, we reach out to them initially. So every, every time the shift starts, uh, we assign our coaches about 15 to 20 kids because we know statistically about maybe six to eight will get back and have an active conversation. Sure. Um, so within those two hours, uh, you know, the young person can go back and forth with the, with the coach. Yeah, there's no limit like your time's up. Uh, after the two hours, your time Yes, is up. after the two hours, but not within it. Yeah, okay, no, thanks. No, not at all. Not at yeah, all. great. Back and forth for the entire two hours. And if our young people are in crisis or we notice that there's um, things happening that they may, may lead to crisis, um, a lot of times uh, what, what we'll do is we'll ask them, hey, you know, it sounds like you're really dealing with a lot with some tough things right now. We wouldn't really feel comfortable letting you go at this point. Would you like to speak to another coach in the next shift? Um, so at that point, we would assign them to a different coach in the next shift. And is the option only ever through text message? Is there a point where you'd say, um, I'd really like to actually talk to you or you don't ever call them? Um, so right now, our motto is strictly text message. Text, okay. Um, when there is an actual crisis, um, I'm the person who will reach out to them through right. a phone call. Okay. Um, to make sure that we're kind of on the same page. Um, you know, when people are in crisis, uh, I do understand, having done this work for many years, that sometimes, you know, especially language and the way you speak through text mm. messages can be convoluted. 
So I, I, I personally really just like to hear what's going on so that I, I, can also, I can also kind of like hear in their voice, you know, are they, are they sounding afraid? You know, are, they, are they sounding intimidated? Are they sounding like they don't know what to say? Are they lost for words? Because um, those kind of things aren't really transferable via text message. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Great. I was really curious about the um, 90 question uh, Google Doc, Jamie. What are you, what are you hearing from uh, children, adolescents about what's um, really troubling them at the moment? Are, are there some themes that come through? So it's nine questions. Oh, nine. Sorry. <laughs> nine questions, yeah. Um, and basically, that's really just an enrollment link. So it, it asks like their name, their phone number. Um, you know, what school they go to, what shift they want to be on. We ask, uh, we tell them about confidentiality and if they understand the terms of confidentiality. We are mandated reporters, so we let them know that from, from, the, from the beginning. Um, and then that allows us to be able to create their profile. And then that evening, they'll get their first coaching session and then moving forward every day. Um, and then, uh, but uh, that's interesting that you bring that up because we also um, send wellness surveys um, and what we do is we send a non-clinical PTSD screener, the ACE questionnaire, um, the PSS-10, which is a perceived stress scale, um, as well as the EPIC, which looks at like, um, like support systems. Um, and it's about, um, I'd say it probably takes about eight minutes, six to eight minutes to fill this out. Um, and what we do is in the beginning, when our young people start with us, we send this out as a baseline. And then uh, usually about eight weeks later, we'll send out we'll send it out again just to see um, you know a few things you know really to just kind of see obviously like if our services are being effective if we see any kind of positive change um, which will you know inform us on what we need to do on our end to do things differently to to really see changes and to really make this effective for our young people. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. For just us. quick question because you know one of you. Um, foundational sort of concepts is that it's non-judgmental and I guess and the children and adolescents can feel that they don't really need to be known (laughs) you know Um, when you send out the um, surveys and things like that is that via their email or is it still on their phone it's through the phone Uh, through the phone everything's through the phone yeah send them a text and it's the link the um, link okay sure yeah and then they fill that out yeah. yeah, okay, thanks. So what do you hear at the moment, Jamie? You, you must be supporting the coaches. I'm sure the coaches have a lot to interact with you about the kind of things that the kids are talking to them about. Uh, what would be some major issues that the kids bring up over text that they'd like to talk to the coaches about? Yeah, um, so some topics that uh, they bring up are, I mean, mainly just like, you know, I'd say about, um, I'm sure you guys know the response to intervention and instruction, right? The RTI framework. Um, If you look at our services in that way, I would say our services follow that almost to the T. We have about, I'd say about 70, 75% of our kids that we currently um, text are just dealing with like day-to-day normal kind of, you know, just teenage stuff, right? Like, I hate my mom or, you know, my brother sucks or, um, you know, I'm having a really hard time like finding out what I want to do with my life, Um, you know, or, uh, and it goes from that to, you know, my friend was shot yesterday and I'm really feeling horrible about it. Or my parents argue a lot, like I don't know what to do about it. 
or um, I'm having relationship issues. Like, what do you think I should do? Um, and, um, you know, and, and there have been instances where, you know, we've had young people report to us that, you know, they've been involved in sexual abusive situations or physical abusive situations. And in those situations, you know, we are mandated reporters and we need to report that. Uh, we're very forthcoming with our students. We let them know, like, hey, um, you know, I'm really concerned for your safety at this point. You know, if, if you remember in the beginning, we said that, you know, A, B, C, D, like, if we hear these things, we have to report them. Um, but we're going to be here with you. Our goal is not for you to be removed from your home, but for you to get services to improve and, and support you at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I, I'm really curious about um, the coaching you provide your coaches um, and how they actually are able to connect through the text messages, Jamie. Um, you know, I, I think. Um, I often feel talking to young person, uh, young people that there's almost something that I've missed <laughs> in growing up about how they use it and how they connect with people. Well, what is your sense with that? Like, How did the coaches really reach out and connect with these um, kids um, through the text messages? So um, <clears throat> I think that happens in a couple of ways. Um, I think absolutely through our training uh, we in the training we really use uh, one of our values is using yourself as a tool right so we really encourage our coaches to just be their authentic selves share maybe personal stories if they can relate to the student if, if they feel comfortable they don't have to um and then just you know just a lot of our young people like really prefer coaches that like don't use in, don't intellectualize don't like bring in like mental health jargon or any of those things because they're the young people they don't want to hear that right they want they want to hear like you know i'm here to support you or like hey i've been through that or god that must be really tough you know like but i've been there um and that's really just a, a really a way that, that we're able to really connect with our people because one uh we in the interview process with our coaches we make sure that we we hire coaches that are able to connect with our kids that have life experiences that come from similar neighborhoods that have dealt with similar situations that we see our young people dealing with. Um, in addition to that, um, when situations may get, um, uh, well, I mean, not only when, but like, so we have a licensed uh, mental health practitioners who are also on these conversations as supervisors, supervising these conversations in real time. So as the coaches are sending messages back and forth, our clinical people are reviewing those messages for any red flags, any things that they may be able to see that a normal person without the clinical eye could not see. Um, and if they see things that are red flags, they would um, send a message to the coach and say, hey, like, I noticed that, um, that Carrie asked about this this way. Um, I'm thinking so-and-so. So why don't you um, explore more about this? Or I'm wondering about this. Like, could you uh, maybe like reframe that question this way? Um, and also, our coaches know that if they're not sure about what to ask or how to frame things, they know that there's a the clinical supervisor there to support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was curious about your experience, Jimmy. You've worked in schools, in, both in a leadership kind of capacity and in a supportive capacity in terms of social emotional things. What is it that do you think text messages and that medium of communication actually has to offer um, that that might not be there in kind of being present kind of at schools? What do you think it 
That's a great question. Um, I, you know, at Mind Right, we really feel like we are meeting kids where they're at, right? Young people are on their phones. I mean, we're all on our phones, right? It's the 21st century, almost 2020. But young people, they're on their phones all the time. Um, so that's a medium that we feel was relatable to them. It's not like they have to like download something or get something. It's just a regular text message. Um, that's why we don't really have an app at this time because that, that would really change the model, right? We send our, our, our messages out through regular text messages. Um, I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of our young people, we ask them in the nine question questionnaire, we ask them, do you want to know your coach's names? Because a lot of them really just want to be like, you know, like anonymous. They don't, not, they don't want to know the coach's names and they don't want to know anything about the coach, but a lot of them do. Most of them do. Most of them do want to know the coach's names. Um, and also, um, you know, it, it's just, uh, we, we've really found that in, in doing this work the last almost three years, that young people feel comfortable using their cell phones. They feel comfortable texting. They feel comfortable expressing themselves through text. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they'll use emojis, right, to like really express themselves, like if they're angry or happy or sad or any of those things. So, um, yeah, so I, I feel like um, to answer your question, it's just, it's just a platform and a medium that we've uh, found that is really useful and effective with young people in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I wanted to talk to you. You spoke about the platform being designed for children and youth of color. Um, and uh, there's this idea of intersectionality um, about how a, a lot of these children are quite isolated. So I was wondering if you could talk to that idea, Jamie, and how it kind of influences how you approach um, these students. Sure. Um, so when I hear intersectionality, I think education and mental health, right? And like really kind of merging those two worlds, because um, those are my two worlds. Those are the worlds that I know as a, as a social worker, as a leader. Um, and, you know, having said that, um, uh, many of our young people are young people who are black, brown, you know, people of color. And with that being said, and having been some or being someone of color, um, I also know that we have um, problems with trust, right? Like in inner city kids have a really big time, hard time trusting people, um, you know, for, for many good reasons. Um, so we, um, we, we come from a, from a perspective where, you know, we don't, we don't, if the student doesn't want to talk about something, we don't pressure them, right? We let them go at their own pace. Uh, we understand that, I mean, no one wants to be pressured to do anything, right? People like to do things on their own terms. And we really respect like their, we really, we really respect their, um, their expertise of like knowing who they are, knowing what they want, you know, and knowing what's best for them sometimes, not all the times, right? But many times, like young people, you know, we underestimate young people. Young people are very intelligent. They know what they want a lot of times. They just don't have people that really have these conversations with them to ask them, what, what's your opinion? What do you feel about that, right? Young people really don't have a lot of autonomy, right? People, their parents tell them what to do. They're told what to do at school. They really don't have any, like, free will to kind of do what they want to do. So this is kind of like a platform and an opportunity for them to just be them, to ask for what they need, to feel their own needs, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And so going back to intersectionality, um, I really feel that like, uh, you know, and, and we don't have all the answers, you know, we're, we're brand new, uh, we're almost three years old, we're learning along with our students. Um, we're learning that, you know, young black and brown males are having a more difficult time using our service. Because as you know, I'm sure, you know, research shows that young black and brown males have, you know, the whole machismo factor, right? Or like, I'm a man, I don't need to talk about my feelings or I don't need to express myself. That's not what men do. Um, so I also feel that like, you know, through MindRight, we're breaking down those barriers and we're really able to like meet people where they are. Um, and, and that's, you know, on, on the phones. Yeah, that's really interesting what you were saying about uh, reaching out to, um, males of color, uh, to, you know, boys of color, really, uh, in terms of being able to get them to connect. I wanted to ask you about that. There's this real sense of isolation that happens, not just for children of color, but, but I think more so in that, you know, they struggle with it more. And um, I often found fascinating that they often come from, you know, we call it collectivist cultures, where there is so much connection and, and family and things like that. Where do you think things have really broken down there, Jamie, like for, the, for these young people. I know you've spoken about violence. You've, you've spoken about that culture of not kind of being mm -hmm. very emotionally mm -hmm. expressive. What are some of your other thoughts about how these kids find it really hard to um, feel connected and supported at this moment? Um, you know, in the United States, uh, we, we uh, really have huge systems of oppression that have been in place for hundreds of years now. Um, these systems of oppression have affected all of us, uh, me, uh, me as well, um, you know, and really just looking at like school systems, um, at the education system, the jail systems, um, just any of those systems, larger systems have historically like demoralized people of color and really have not um, really met them where they are, right? Um, there's a lot of assumptions that, you know, young black and brown males and people, or just young people in general don't want support or they don't need the support. They don't, what problems would they have? You know, they're young. Um, but that, I would say that's, that's really a myth. Um, young people have a lot of issues and a lot of problems, especially young people that come from inner cities, right? Uh, because a big part of that is that they don't have, many, many young people don't have like positive male role models or positive role models around them. They see people um, in their community, you know, like really not doing much with their lives. And unfortunately, you know, when you grow up in those environments and you don't see people in your family doing much or you don't see people in your community doing much, your expectations are lowered, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, so um, I think that contributes to a lot of, of what you're talking about or what you asked. Um, yeah. And I also think that just um, generations and, and lack of education and, and and poverty, you know, also contributes to many of those things. Again, all related to systems that affect, you know, young people and people in general. Yeah. That's a fascinating idea about demoralization because as an education leader, I'm sure you're just seeing teachers who work with kids who feel that way, <laughs> becoming demoralized themselves. Uh, well, what were your thoughts about that? Like about how teachers can continue staying hopeful with these children or, um, you know, just the effects it has even, you know, and you might notice this even on the coaches that you work with. Uh, uh, what, what are your thoughts about that, Jamie? You know, um, when I was in schools for 16 years um, as a social worker and as a school administrator, um, you know, I, I, I was able to like really 
I wouldn't say completely understand because I, I was never the teacher actually teaching the classes, but from being a supportive stance and like going into classrooms and having like group sessions or having conversations about about whatever is going on in the classrooms that's impacting or, or the, the the educational um, the the lesson for the day, if you will. Um, there are teachers who I would say get it, and there's teachers that don't, right? And when I say get it, I mean that they understand that like you know. These days, like working in inner cities, like young people need more than just help with their homework, right? They need extra supports, like like really looking at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, if someone didn't eat the night before, if it's freezing outside and they don't have a coat on, how are you gonna focus on school? How are you gonna be able to focus on the things that people expect you to focus on regardless of what you're going through, right? Um, so I think, you know, I, I've seen teachers who have come and left in one year because this education isn't for them, right? They get burnt out in one year. Working in inner city schools is not easy. Um, you know, teachers these days put on many hats. They're counselors, they're social workers, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're people that like try to support people if they need a $5 to get on the bus or if they need this. And um, I, I really feel like, you know, our teachers, um, I'm not too sure about how it is in, in, in your country, but in our country, like teachers are underpaid and, 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 and overworked. You know, and, and no one really stops and asks them, like, gosh, how are you doing? You know, you had a really tough day today. Or, like, you know, Johnny, like, you know, threw chairs all over your classroom today and, and hurt somebody and potentially almost hurt you. Um, like, you know, how do you feel about that? Um, so I really feel that, like, you know, teachers, I think, want support. A lot of times, novice teachers who just start are weary about asking for support because they're going to feel that people think they can't handle it. Right. Um, and what I've always told teachers is like, you know, speak up. Like, you know, uh, uh, my mom always told me like a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Right. You need to open your mouth if you want help. Um, so I would share that with teachers and say like, hey, you know, like I'm here. I'm ready to support you. But if you don't communicate with me, I don't know how to support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for that. Um, mm -hmm. Just going back to mine right uh, for a minute. Jamie, just to get a little bit micro, like in terms of the text messages themselves, um, what are some sort of principles that you would say that people would keep in mind in terms of responding to a student who's reached out? You know, how would you think about what words you use or what messages you'd communicate back to them? Did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, um, so on a, on a very like minimal level, like we, we have genuine conversations, right? And like I said earlier, like our students drive the conversations. We ask them what they'd like to talk about, or we we follow up on the conversation from the previous day, right? Um, throughout our conversations, there is a framework that we've created called the ENS framework: um, empathize, normalize, and stabilize. Um, so that's a framework that basically embodies a lot of what our training is. Um, we we ask that we're, we're supposed to be able as a supervisor to see this happening as kind of like the essence of what's going on in the texting, right? You should always be trying to look for, um, to be able to empathize the young person, normalize what they're going through, and if, if need be, stabilize them, right? Um, so that's definitely like the ebb and flow of like how texts go. But um, we really just kind of go based on what the young person is presenting that day. We don't have an agenda. We don't have anything that we really want to get to. It's really just like what they're presenting with, what the presenting problem is that day. And more than just really trying to rush and fix the problem, really just being a platform to have the kid express themselves and like 
gosh, that must have been really tough. Tell me more about that, right? Um, a lot of times, uh, many coaches and people in general, I think, when, when they're in the helping field, they want to just fix it, right? They run to fix the problem. And a lot of times, people don't want to run to fix it. They want to be heard. They want to they be validated. They want to know that, like, I'm not alone in this, you know? Like, there are other people that are going through this, and, and it's not just me. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, and then also, you know, in, in our training, uh, we train our, our coaches. Um, it's an evidence-informed training on uh, CBT, ACT, resiliency theories, um, uh, strength-based interventions, and so on and so forth. Um, so the expectation is that they're using these um, these uh, you know theories or tenets from these theories to like really try to like uh, support the student on whatever it is that they're dealing with, whether it be something that they're you know maybe needing to think think through something using um, think think through something differently right than what they're using right. Sometimes people really go to the negative a lot of times about things and really trying to like reframe that for the young person and think about it from a different perspective. Or you know, using ACT, really allowing them to really accept their current situation. A lot of times, when people go through trauma and go through different issues in life, I mean, the first thing is like, no, that can't be. That's not that can't not me, right? That's not going to happen to me. But yeah, it is happening to you. And I think the first step to like really being able to move forward is to really accept that this is the reality. This is what I'm dealing with. Um, so those are just a few ways that we try to like um, like uh, have our conversations kind of go. Yeah, Excellent. Um, so for those who might still seem unconvinced <laughs> about the power of text message, did you have an anecdote that you could share with us, Jamie, about how the program has uh, made a difference in a, a young person's life? Sure. Um, you know, we... Our goal is not for people to be dependent on MindRed. Our goal is to be able to support young people so much so that they feel confident to be able to go through life on their own because we've provided them tools to do that. Um, we've, had, we've had young people actually say, you know what, I think I'm okay. I don't need to text you guys anymore. And in my mind, when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, what are we doing wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And the young person was like, no, on the contrary, like you guys have helped me so much, like I'm so confident now, like I know how to speak up for myself, I know what I wanna do in life, like I feel so confident, like I don't really need you guys anymore. And when, it, when they put it that way, I was like, that's excellent, that's exactly what we want, that's what we want, that's exactly what we want. Um, we've had people who say like, you know, um, I don't have anyone to talk to, you know, I'm always by myself. I come home, my mom, I, I live with, you know, it's just me and my mom. My mom's a single mom. She works two or three jobs sometimes. I come home and I'm alone. So a lot of times I want to talk to someone about how my day is going and there's no one here. Um, we've also had people um, who, you know, just really thank us for like just being there every day, no matter what. Right, like even if they're hearing things or we're providing things that may be difficult or a difficult pill for them to swallow, they swallow that pill and they're still there the next day. Um, an example of that recently, actually, um, one of our young people like told us that he sexually abused his 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 niece, right, an eight-year-old niece, and he's fifteen. Um, and obviously, that's alarming for us. But and we we called CPS and we did what we have to do, and the next day he was still there. He was still waiting for his taxes, and he realized, and he told us in the taxes, like, wow, it feels really good to let this out, 
Like I've never told anyone this. You guys are the first people that I've shared this with. Mm -hmm. And so he was a little bit, he felt good about letting it out, but he was afraid about what, what might happen because now it is out. Um, and we told him like, you know, my ride is there for you through good times and bad times. Like we want to share your, your wins. We want to share good times. And when you have bad days, because we all do, we, we want to be there to support you through that too. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I've been part of studies where we've done follow-up by text message of people who have left psychiatric inpatient units and places like that. And, you know, some of the stories you hear back is about children just not feeling alone, you know, in the moments where they want to take their life or they want to kind of really hurt someone else or hurt themselves, that this idea that they're just not alone in those moments is such a powerful experience for them, I think, uh, in terms of staying safe. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think even more so, like, going uh, just the way we train our people, the kind of community that we build amongst our staff, um, like people, including me, like I love my job, I love what we do. I love that um, my voice is heard at my job. I love that my ideas are, are taken into consideration. And that's exactly what we do with our students, you know? So it's not like we're just doing all this like goody goody stuff for the kids, like for our staff members, we also feel that it's important to, to like, you know, live by what we do with our kids as well with, with our staff and letting them know that, you know, you do matter and like your, your voice matters. And we want to take that into consideration. We're very open and honest and transparent with anything that we do across the board with our staff, as well as with our kids. You know, we don't have secrets. We, we share things with them um, when it's time for them to hear those things, obviously. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's certain things on a senior management level that people don't need to know, right? But um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're very forthcoming with our staff, with our students, and we really want like, to have a really inclusive environment where everyone's voice is heard and, um, and everyone is respected. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, how, can, can you talk about how the program actually helps the teachers, Jamie? Like, uh, you know, obviously the kids are coming in feeling more supported, but what is it that the teachers are gonna kind of get out of this, do you think? Um, that's a great question. You know, our, our services aren't really geared towards teachers at this time, but there are, um, you know, uh, like effects of what we do on the teachers, right? Because they have students who are now like armed with different tools to deal with situations. So maybe Bobby in the past would have turned around and slugged someone in the classroom. Now Bobby's walking out of the classroom and taking a walk. Right, because that's something, or just breathing, right? Um, deep breathing, like those are things that we go over with our kids, even via text message, right? Like we text them exactly what steps to take to breathe and how you should do the deep breathing, how um, how it helps, you know, de-escalate situations or can like lower anxiety or you know any of those things. Um, we've had kids and who text back and like, hey, like I tried that breathing thing and it really worked. You know, and um, and when I see things like that, it really like warms my heart because that's exactly what we want to see. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Jamie, I was just thinking from a teacher's point of view, <laughs> um, the fact that um, the program exists really makes you stop and think, I guess, from a strengths-based perspective of the good in text messaging. Because as a teacher, the first thing is put that phone away get rid of that we're concentrating on learning I don't want to see it blah 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 or it gets confiscated or whatever it is and 
there's often that um, disappointment, I guess, that kids can't even, you know, express themselves properly in their writing, blah, 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 blah. So I think it would be a, a perfect opportunity for them not to share the details of their text, but what they're learning about expressing themselves appropriately through text messages so that the person on the other end, yeah, gets the accurate message. Because I don't think they're on their phone all the time, but this would make them very mindful of, yeah, the messages that they're communicating through through text when it's their primary source of communication without the visuals, without the face-to-face the -face contact. And I think that would be a wonderful um, focus for teachers in, um, to, to, I guess, value equally to traditional spelling, grammar, punctuation, you know, what's behind the texting. What are you doing when you're putting it in capital letters and whacking in that emoji? What do you think the person on the other end's thinking? Is, you know, should you have stopped and breathed and thought about it before you sent that image? You know, yeah, sure. I just think, yeah, I think it's, I think really it's really makes people stop and think differently. I yeah. like that perspective. Thank you for that. Um, absolutely. Um, and I actually want to backtrack on the whole teacher thing. Um, although, I mean, the teachers don't use the texts, right? We text young people. But when we do partner with schools, because we also partner with like social service agencies and nonprofits, um, we, uh, we, we actually provide professional development if the, if the school would need it on like identifying what is trauma, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you identify trauma or how do you um, even just identify that this person is struggling with something? Um, you know, as a mental health practitioner, like we are, we have a certain lens that we're trained with and teachers don't have that lens, right? So being able to really train teachers on like, so if you see this, they're probably dealing with some type of depression or something or possibly, right? Um, and as you as a teacher, just kind of being able to identify that and referring the kid or getting them to someone that can help them is really important. Um, so we do provide professional developments for schools and organizations um, on, on trauma and what it looks like in communities of color and what your role is as an educator and being able to support the young people through these things. Yeah, that's excellent. This has been really interesting, Jamie. Uh, uh, we were wondering about what you're curious about in your work at MindRight, uh, you and the management there. What were you kind of thinking about? What ideas were kind of interesting you at this point? Um, so right now, um, <clears throat> what we're really interested in and what we're growing is really just using more technology and what we're doing. Um, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning in what we do. Um, I, and one important thing that I actually forgot to mention is that the school sites, um, they have a partner dashboard. Um, and in the dashboard, they can see in real time the trending topics of the conversations that their kids are talking about. They can see, um, like, uh, so basically in, in our proprietary web application uh, that we use, so, so coaches and admin, we, we actually use a laptop and we have a web platform. The kids are the ones that text, right? So in our web platform, we, uh, as the kids are texting, our coaches are actually tagging the conversations with emotions, um, topics, and strategies. So artificial intelligence is working to allow us to see what strategies are effective for what topics, right? So, um, and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're just starting on a lot of those things, but we're seeing a lot of gains in, in that. Um, 
And then, um, yeah, so we're, we're really interested and, and curious about like how that's going to evolve and evolve us as a service uh, once we start using more and more of that. Um, and really just being able to empower schools with, with, with evidence and with real-time things that are going on in their students' lives so that they can actually use resources appropriately at the school site. I don't know how many times as a psychiatric social worker at schools, um, I would get to school at 7.30 in the morning and, uh, you know, my, my thing was like, okay, like, what, you know, what am I doing today besides my individuals, my groups and stuff like that? If I could have had like some kind of guide as like, you know, Anna had a really tough evening last night, you know, you may want to check in with her in the morning. That would have been great for me as a school social worker. So I have somewhere to start, you know, instead of like just, you know, waiting for things to happen. Um, so really just being proactive and arming school, schools and school districts with like data that is really informing their resources and the way they're using their resources. That is fascinating stuff. And yeah, I feel like I have a pile of more questions about that, but we, we'll, we'd love to speak to you again at some point. Jamie, uh, look, were there any resources you'd like to direct our listeners to? How can people get in touch with you? Um, hmm, any resources? Not any resources that I have off the top of my head, but um, I would encourage young people to maybe go to our website, um, www.getmindright.org, and just check us out. Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. Mm. Well, thank you so very much, Amy. This has been a fascinating discussion. Um, there is so much to learn, I think, about how to use these new tools. directions to think about. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you guys very much. Yes, uh, thank you. Very much appreciate it. The uh, time that you guys took to interview us and just uh, obviously the curiosity of like, hey, what is yeah. this minor thing, right? Yeah, it's um, terrific. So definitely appreciate you guys and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks, Jamie. That was our interview with Dr. Jamie Mendoza-Williams from MindRight. To get access to the links and resources mentioned in the interview, please visit www.tipbs.com. If you are enjoying listening to our show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Your ratings make all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>